you guys. Welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast ranking every horror movie ever made. And this is Lillian. And this is Quincy. And I'm trans. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> Quincy, uh, how are you doing? How's your week going? Uh, pretty good. Pretty uneventful. Um, how about you? <laughs> you know, I'm uh, you know going through some uh, pretty pretty substantial changes. Uh, not to not to go into it too much, uh, but yeah, it. Uh, you know, I'm starting to transition. Uh, my name is Lillian. Obviously, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm a trans woman, and I feel like listeners of the podcast uh, a probably will not be surprised by this as a thing, and then second of all. Uh, I was kind of worried initially that like, oh man, you know, like, is there going to be like a long time listener who like throws their hat down in disgust? Like, I didn't realize that one of the transes was doing this podcast. Um, although we did rank uh, Sleepaway Camp pretty low on the list back in the day, so. Yeah, I think that we've kind of uh, tipped our hands. Although there's a there's a huge discourse about Sleepaway Camp and a lot of the trans community mm-hmm. uh, champions that film. I still don't understand that. Oh, but, for sure. Uh, that is something that I've decided I still uh, hold strong as a bad movie. Yeah, I mean, well, and there's a, a YouTuber that I really like, uh, Nick Spears. Uh, her name is uh, Mae Leitz, and uh, she is a trans lady who wrote like this entire like video essay about how Sleepaway Camp rules, actually. And I th- now the thing is, I've been I've struggled with um, gender dysphoria my entire life. But I think that when I saw that video pop up, I was like, I'm not ready for that smoke. Like, I just I'm not this is this is advanced shit. But I think I'm actually going to dive in and, and dig into that discourse. But I'm fully prepared to just be like, man, fuck Sleepaway Camp. Um, as I think a- it's bad writing. I think mm-hmm. I will till the day I die. Just say it's a twist ending that is not well written. It's a twist ending that nobody could figure out on their own and ultimately doesn't really add shit. I think it's a perfectly fine, capital F, fine slasher sleepaway camp with an ending that just completely bones it for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's there's that. So what, uh, what ghoul shit have you been uh, consuming this week? Well... Uh, Everything is Terrible has come out with a new DVD called Kids Club, and I picked that up, and I'm just frying my brain to it as many (laughs) times as I can. I also picked up, uh, they had a sale where um, they will send you uncased DVDs, just in like paper sleeves, Mm -hmm. and one of them is called Internet 1.0, and it is uh, made to look like an AOL share disc, Mm -hmm. and it's just very old internet like seniors guides to to the internet oh or, yes um it also has a star trek the next generation uh video board game but just the <laughs> video part so it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever <laughs> god this is i mean beyond the gates is like my entire familiarity with um video board games I feel like now you would just have a thing on Netflix like Escape the Undertaker. Yeah, what's interesting is um, as much of a board game fan I have been, uh, when I was a child, the only VHS board game I had was uh, Dragon Strike, which was an attempt to get children into Dungeons and Dragons in the 90s because... (laughs) My church warned me about this. Yeah, but like D&D had already kind of uh, waned. So they're mm-hmm. trying to get people back into it and, and, you know, hook them while they're young. Oh, yeah. So it's like a very miniature-heavy board game. <laughs> and um, it came with a VHS, but the VHS was not part of the game like uh, Beyond the Gates or 
there are real versions of those games that I can't remember the names of. Oh, yeah. But instead, it was a video of people playing and like a full production like movie of people playing the game and like imagining that they're elves and dwarves and, and warlocks. <laughs> That's fucking incredible. Like, did I mean, did your family just like did, how how often did you play this? Like, was this a fixture in your house? It was a fixture because I, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise, I really loved the game with the uh, scorpion centaur as one of the characters. Oh, now we're talking. Uh, my parents and um, extended family hated it because it was, it's it's more ponderous to play than Dungeons and Dragons is. It somehow really? adds rules to D&D in a way that's just a total, absolute bummer. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one liked to play it, which is probably why for so long it held a cherished like spot in my like game collection because mm-hmm. it was the thing that only made it out like on my birthday and and like Thanksgiving, <laughs> which I realized was more we we gotta let this kid play this game <laughs> once a year for his birthday. Yeah. But um, I played it as an adult, and it does not hold up at all. I'm just thinking, like, it's, you know, with a romantic partner, it's that sitcom thing of, like, hey, for your birthday, we can do that thing you like. And it's just this, <laughs> and it's just this board game, and you it's bring Dragon it Strike. Exactly. It's Dragon Strike. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the fact that it's more ponderous than D&D is really buckwild to me because of how bad the mechanics of D&D are to play. Yeah, I'm going to actually say that... Um, I w- okay, I was going to go to bat for D&D, but then I realized that I've been playing for about 10 years now and still ask questions about the rules while I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just that it's like it's the oldest one and it's not the best one, but it's the most widely used one. And so it's yeah, yeah, I think having played a bunch of different systems, I've got a weird axe to grind with with D&D as a as, as a thing like it's so fussy and it you know if i have to ask like that many questions about the system it's not a good system yeah my current favorite is morkborg which is a swedish (laughs) rpg um it's basically every doom uh doom metal album that you can think of but as a role-playing game so it's it's a d20 and you just have to roll under the number and then you get it do you also feel like it's stolen valor when you listen to stoner metal because you don't smoke weed? <laughs> like, yes, I really yes, love doom metal, do. but I don't. I don't smoke, and I'm always just kind of like, oh man, everyone's gonna know that I'm a fucking like that I'm faking it. I'm listening I'm... to those bong ri- <laughs> rips and going, yes, I I understand the marijuana. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, weed eater. This is this is a band I enjoy, but yeah, it's. Speaking of uh, consuming... But I do enjoy oh, Weed Eater. They're a very good band. They're so good. Uh, God Luck and Good Speed has been the album that I've been listening to listening to while working on stuff lately. Um, uh, and, I yeah. believe that's the album with Wizard Fight, which only <laughs> yes. lyrics include a man screaming Wizard Fight. <laughs> which is all I want, really. Like I want lyrics that sound like uh, the, the art on the side of the van in Freddy vs. Jason. Where it's like a fucking wizard casting a mystical orb or something. Yeah, it's, yeah. Speaking of uh, illicit substances that we take into our bodies, let's talk about the movie we're doing this week. Um, Hot damn. Uh, We are doing uh, Possessor from 2020, uh, written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Um, Quincy, had you seen uh, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, previous movie, Antiviral? 
No, it was on my list and I didn't get around to it. And then all of a sudden my entire timeline said, hey, fuck antiviral, Possessor's where it's at. So that I figured if I'm going to start, I might start with the, the best one. Sometimes the timeline has it absolutely right. Uh, the thing is, like, as the world's biggest uh, David Cronenberg nutswinger myself, um, I was really, really bummed out by antiviral because the plot was just like, very uh, Black Mirror B-side episode where it's like, hey man, what if your favorite celebrities had herpes and you could get the herpes from your celebrity injected into your body so that you can feel close to them? Celebrity, am I right? And it's just like so overwrought and silly. Um, And then there is motherfucking Possessor. So do you think that the crown is heavy for um, David Cronenberg? It's got to be, right? Like, if you're if you're Brandon Cronenberg, uh, I mean, first of all, your dad got to get murdered in Jason X, which is exciting. Um, I always forget that he's in that movie until I watch it. I'm like, fucking David Cronenberg showing up. <laughs> um, but, like, Possessor, this is a movie that, like, I can... What's incredible about this movie to me off top is that it manages to both absolutely... I could pick this movie out of a lineup and be like, yes, the person who made this movie descended from David Cronenberg because there's so much Cronenbergian stuff in this movie, but I feel like it goes so much further than David Cronenberg usually does. Yeah, I feel like he is trying to prove something. He's like, yes, my dad is an acclaimed director, but I, one, have my own voice, but two, I can get real nasty because this movie <laughs> is really gross. Oh, it's it's gross, but I think this is, um, and to say nothing about a movie that hangs so much dong as this movie, this movie has so much balls. Uh, it has the strength of its convictions. Like, And obviously on this podcast, we've watched a lot of like transgressive movies, uh, that were ultimately kind of try-hard. This movie is not even in the same zip code as fucking around. Yeah, it's it's hardcore. So let's talk about the plot of this movie. Oh, man. So uh, the uh, main character is Tasia Voss, which is a very Cronenbergian name, I think, <laughs> where you've got to have some guy named, like, Stathis Borens, you know, where it's... There's so much... Like, there's the Cronenberg thing with the names in this and also all of the furniture... It looks like spinal columns. Like, there's so much stuff in this movie that looks like, oh, yes, your dad is David Cronenberg, and you don't totally know what chairs are supposed to look like in a way I really appreciate. <laughs> what do you think it's like growing up in the Cronenberg household? Does everyone have, <laughs> <laughs> like, awful, horrible seats? Yeah, you're just <laughs> you like... Never, you go to college, and it's the first time you realize that people have regular sitting armchairs. Yeah, and every morning it's like, dear, are you hung- are, are you okay? You haven't even touched your flesh toast and computer juice. <laughs> like, you're just... <laughs> it's it's got to be wild at uh, Casa de Cronenberg. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so Tazia, Tazia Voss, I'm just going to call her Voss, is uh, an assassin who kind of looks like... Um, the way that her makeup and the way that she started in this movie, like, she kind of looks like if you kept, um, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. Oh, how did you know? Here we go. Because I also think that she looks, (laughs) she's made to look like Tilda Swinton as a vampire. Uh, at the top of the movie, um, we are shown a woman named Holly, um, inserting, like, she's fixing her hair, um, and she sticks a giant needle into the top of her head that I think is meant to let um, Voss possess her body. Yeah, it's the fine-tuning software that um, helps allow Voss to be able to to 
control her. So mm-hmm. at this point in the film, what we later learn is that Voss has already taken over Holly's body because they have kidnapped Voss and implanted a um, electrical device that allows Voss to like log into her brain, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but to keep the connection alive, uh, there has to be like tune-ups every every couple days right which honestly honestly creates a really cool ticking clock i think on this movie because we'll 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 get into that but it's basically like look uh you have to be about your business uh pitter patter like you gotta if you're an assassin you need to off this person as quickly as possible and then get out what she does is that so she possesses holly and goes to this big uh fancy party and there's uh, a guy who looks like a an old-timey oil baron um Who's just, you know, this rich guy. She um, stabs the dog shit out of this guy. <laughs> just the mother-loving shit. Just so much blood, so much stabbing. Holy and fuck. they show all of it on screen. It's, I, you know, and I, I like to think that I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty, you know crusty customer when it when it when it comes to horror movies i was actually i i kind of gasped like oh my god like it's tough to watch at a certain point she's just making wine like she's just just (laughs) stabbing the shit out of this guy um and obviously everybody at the party you know runs screaming the cops show up um at this point and she is about to eat the gun because that's how you sever the connection if you're uh voss so that you can get back to the real world and then at the last minute, the, I think the thing that kind of communicates to you that uh, Voss is having a hard time in her life, she can't totally eat the gun, and then she decides to kind of do a suicide by cop. Yeah. And and the line, pull me out, is what she says. Yes. Yeah. It's like the Matrix in that way, where it's like, you've got operators and stuff that are going to be pulling you out of the thing. Yeah. And then, and then we go back to this shady corporation where Voss works and is being inserted into people and there she has to go through a personality test and we learn that she's kind of like next in line to become CEO of this organization mm-hmm. and uh, we also learn that she has a family a husband and child that she is becoming estranged with has already become estranged it's a little vague mm-hmm. well and, and essentially what it is is that uh so we, we we're, we're sort of made aware um she has a handler named tate um who, uh, played by jennifer jason lee who fucking destroys in this performance yeah she's so good in this movie oh my god the, first of all I, i'm just gonna also say this this movie i think it's a masterpiece we're scrolling to the top of the list for this one for me yeah yeah for sure uh spoiler alert yeah, yeah. Has, is it just me or has jennifer jason lee gotten better yeah for sure like i mean i'm i'm such a mark for single white female so i'm always gonna be like team please put jennifer jason lee on my tv screen i honestly after watching this i'm like where the fuck has she been like i want to see her in so many more things she is so dynamic and her character tate um is herself kind of a retired assassin um she she's basically uh it's it's almost like a lefemme nikita situation where she's like the sponsor for for voss and, you know, she, after, after she, um, gets pulled out, uh, you know, after doing the suicide by cop, um, Tate kind of does a debriefing with her. And what we find out is that Voss, um, is not quite estranged from her family, but has sort of, for their own good, removed herself from her husband and son because she's like, uh, working this job, it's kind of taken it out of me. I'm worried about hurting my family, um, 
because it's really weird. It's like beaming into people's bodies and performing crazy super murder on people. It kind of takes a toll on you. And and the thing that I really appreciate about this movie is it plays with post-traumatic stress in mm. a really interesting way because there are um, intrusive <clears throat> thoughts because Voss has to see what she's done mm-hmm. over and over again. And later, when we get Colin, he also has this sort of... Uh, intrusive thoughts where he can't escape what he's realizing he's done and then uh we'll get into his is he actually an actor on his own accord or, mm-hmm. or not oh yeah i mean you're totally right like it's it this movie is obsessed with the idea of like people bleeding into each other where like if you've been inside somebody else's head you kind of have their memories you kind of you know the lines blur between you and them Um, and she keeps getting these intrusive thoughts of, like, visions of the horrible violence she does. Like, there's one scene, so she goes back to visit her family, um, after, now, oh, actually, wait, I'm gonna try that again. There's, there's a thing that I gotta point out. Um, when she's getting debriefed by, uh, Tate, you know, she's, uh, in order to solidify her sense of self, um, she's running through all these different personal effects with Tate, and Tate, you know, will hold up a thing and be like, what is this? And Voss is like, that's my grandfather's pipe. And then one of the big uh, tonic notes that this movie keeps hitting is that there is a butterfly mounted uh, on a little slab. And, you know, Tate asks her what it is, and Voss is like, this is a butterfly that I killed and mounted when I was a girl, and I still feel really guilty about killing that butterfly. Um... Which is incredible because it's like, oh, you know, I just um, used uh, used a guy for a pincushion um, in real life, but she still has this lingering sense of guilt about the butterfly, which is basically she still has a big part of her humanity that, you know, she either that is either going to fuck her over or that she needs to get rid of if she's going to do her job as an as an assassin. Yeah. So the company's next contract is for this guy named Colin who is dating a tech mogul's coked out daughter, (laughs) which I love the, the idea that they're like, okay, the only reason why we want this guy is because he used to be a cocaine dealer. Mm -hmm. He's dating this mogul's daughter and we're going to make it look like he just wigs out and, and murders everyone so that this distant relative can uh, inherit the family fortune. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to pick this guy because he's a flake. Uh, Yeah. But Colin gets picked up and um, has the device implanted into his head. And then uh, pretty soon after, Voss enters into the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, like, you know, after she enters the body, like, she... This is around the point that she starts completely disintegrating um, in terms of her personality. There's there's a scene um, where she actually does go, go home to her family, and I think one of the most haunting parts of this movie for me is that she's standing in the um, sort of the, the lane right outside of her house and staring at the house and uh, running over these phrases that she's going to have to say where she's like, hi, darling you know, I'm starving, what do you have there with her kid? And it's incredible because she's, like, trying to recalibrate what a person is supposed to sound like and what she's supposed to sound like with her family. And then as the scene plays out, you kind of hear all these phrases she's been practicing saying in a way that's like, yeah, I don't know how firm your sense of self is going to be at the end of this movie. Yeah, the other thing that I find really fascinating is um, it's very subtle, but every time Voss is in another body, she... um, 
feels all of the like otherness. So mm-hmm. when she's Holly, Holly's African American, so she's got um, natural hair, mm-hmm. and Voss rubs her fingers through her hair because it's this new texture and it's like this forbidden thing. Right. And the first thing she does as Colin is grabs her dick and plays with her dick. Right. Which I I love because it's just sort of like, I mean, if you, if you don't have a dick and then suddenly you do, of course you're going to be like, what the fuck? Like it's (laughs) it's like this weird Muppet. Um, And which is also incredible because like, yeah, when, yeah, when speaking of dicks, by the way, this movie has a commitment to hanging dong that I have to I have to salute. Um, Oscar, there is Oscar worthy dong hanging. There is so much dick in this movie, and just like full frontal female nudity. Like there's, um, and th- like there's a frankness about it that I really really appreciate. Like there's um, a scene where Voss is fucking her husband, and first of all, it's extremely. Now here's the thing, also, especially in horror. I think a lot of times you'll get a sex scene that's sort of gross on purpose so that nobody can accuse them of being cringe for trying to have a sexy scene. Uh, and they're, you know, the sex scenes in this are very just matter of fact and not grotesque, but not hyper stylized. And there's, you know, while, while she's fucking her husband, she starts flashing back to the blood spurting out of um, the guy's neck that she stabbed at the top of the movie. And then she just starts biting her husband's neck right there as a way to not think about it's so much. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's definitely not uh, titillating or or erotic, I would mm-hmm. say, but it's it's fascinating nonetheless. Completely. Um, and so as Colin, you know, she's she's kind of getting used to being this person. Um, and, you know, right away, um, Coke girlfriend kind of twigs that something is up with Colin. Like that, he's not totally himself. Um, yeah, she she's like you're not yourself. I also love that the ways that they show this movies in the future is through vaping. <laughs> so much vaping and dicks in this movie. Like it's <laughs> yeah. What is this? You know, I kind of appreciate it though because I feel like there was a lot of smoking in early Cronenberg movies, and it's kind of like well, it's the future. So I guess vape life. I guess that's what we're doing now. <laughs> I also like that Colin works for his uh, soon-to-be father-in-law, John Parse, played by Sean Bean. And yes. it the company is a data mining company. So his job is to... Colin's job is to look through webcams and note what kind of window drapes uh, <laughs> they have or what kind of lamps they have. So it's just watching people having sex in their apartments and then zooming in to the top right corner of the frame and saying uh pleated gray drape <laughs> quincy this movie is so funny in so many places like first of all yeah like this company zoo through um it's literally yeah just like there's there's one scene where, where you know he's got this like big vr headset on and you just see a naked couple and then fucking and then the the person comes on the little headset for um, Voss and Colin's body, and they're like, hey, what's the fucking holdup? What kind of drapes do they have? And they've got to, like, <laughs> ignore this dude's grundle just flapping in front of the camera, and it's like, <laughs> uh, pleated khaki drapes? Um, which I, you know, and there's this coworker that he has who's just this weird little rat dick. Yeah, he's this guy that's like, oh, he's always saying phrases like, are you getting any? And like... <laughs> 
Are you winning, son? Are you... It's like that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of like in the 80s, like, you know, Friday the 13th Part 4. Um, I feel like a lot of teen boys had friends that were like weirdly invested in their sex lives. Where they're like, hey, are you, are you, are you fucking? And it's just like, you know, you've got Voss as Colin being like, oh, yeah, bro, I'm fucking. And it's just, he's, yeah, just a little wiener guy. Um, and you kind of don't totally know what his deal is at first, I think. Yeah. And then, and then that's surprise later. Um, by the way, this is probably going to be a very spoiler heavy episode oh for sure if you haven't seen this movie please pause the podcast <clears> now and go watch it it is on hulu yeah i i cannot recommend this movie enough if you haven't watched it um but so sean bean uh, is just the biggest asshole in the world i think in this movie i also love that as per usual sean bean dies <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i saw his face pop up i'm like oh that motherfucker's dead like Sean Bean in a horror movie, it's on site. Um, and he is, uh, he does not approve of Colin uh, dating his daughter. No, in fact, he's hypercritical of him, which makes uh, Voss's murder of him even that much more uh, cathartic. Because, uh, oh, and that's the other thing is um, Voss's handlers, like, you keep going above and beyond you keep mm-hmm. going above and beyond you keep doing things in in a, the most complicated way possible uh he's like she's like just use the gun we gave you <laughs> stop stabbing people and making wine stop using a <laughs> a poker for a fireplace to it's, smash sean bean's head in yeah it's like look the last guy looked like someone made a jack-o'-lantern in the dark you you are climbing up a tree to super murder people when you could just stand on the ground and shoot him in the head um and sean bean uh what's incredible is that it's like i think voss at this point you know she's kind of blending into colin a little bit and you can tell that voss is legitimately becoming angry at sean bean and his fiance. yeah uh, you know, because they're at this party, and here's the thing. If you're having a dissociative episode and you're possessing somebody else's body and you're at a party, maybe don't pour booze on it. Yeah, but instead, she pours booze on it. <laughs> but there's also this question about, like, when is this Voss and when is it Colin? Because mm-hmm. uh, the software doesn't take, and, and the whole film, they're saying, like, there's a glitch something's wrong, mm-hmm. recalibrate, you're not in full control. And the viewer is left for the whole movie to try to figure out who is actually choosing which action. Yeah, and it's it's done really, really um, deftly, I think, by Brandon Cronenberg, because it's very just like, I think that ambiguity is meant to... I mean, like that's so much a part of the thing that at a certain point, I think a case could be made for a lot of the actions that happen like halfway through the second act where like it could be either Colin or Voss doing these things. Um, yeah. And, and you know, when Voss is uh, sort of talking back to HQ, um, they sort of multi-track her voice with Colin's voice in a way that sounds really cool, where it's just like, oh, this is sort of Brundlefly levels of like Colin Voss. Um, and they're just like sort of the same organism. Um, at the party, uh, Voss in the body of Colin sort of gets drunk, throws a shit fit, tries uh, starting an actual fist fight with Sean Bean and gets thrown out of the party. Um, 
And at this point, you know, you've got the fiance sitting down at the table with Sean Bean, who's getting uh, shithouse drunk. And then finally, Colin, you know, Colin Voss comes back in. And Sean Bean, by the way, totally no-sells this breaking and entering, which I really love. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> I'm too rich and drunk for this. I'm going to bed. Leave my home. Um, the The way that Voss murders Sean Bean is truly harrowing. Um, but yeah, this fire poker? It's very, very gross. The Faustian Nonsense Patreon has a lot of amazing stuff. Not even just Quincy and me talking about Sylvester Stallone movies. Loads of amazing shows on the network, including The Green Horizon, Chain of Being, Ghosts on a Train, and Lavender Tavern, have a shitload of bonus content for you to get your hands on. Go check it out over at patreon.com slash Nonsense. You won't regret it. Yeah, just like jams the jams the fire poke, like you know, sort of beats him down and then uh, jams the fire poker in his mouth and he pops an eyeball out with it, um, and just the honestly, I will also say the effects in this movie are absolutely astoundingly good. Oh yeah, they can't uh, again. Brandon's got a reputation, a family name to uphold. He can't <laughs> skimp out on special effects. That's a great point. Like, listen, your dad did the stomach vagina in, in Videodrome. You, you, you can shell out for some for some good gore effects. Um, and so you know, just murders the shit out of him, and then suddenly, um, his you know fiance shows up, and she's like, "Ha ha! Wow, Jesus!" and tries running away. Um, gets shot a bunch of times. Uh, and then how does how does Voss kill the fiance? He uh, shoots her in the head. Yeah, which you could have just done that off top, Voss. Like, why? Why do you got to do like free form murder when there's there's a boilerplate right? You've got a gun. You could just you know do it and go home. Um, but uh, so right after Voss kills the fiance and is about to eat the gun and be like, pull me out. Um, I think at this point Tate. Um, whose body Voss is possessing overpowers Voss and stabs himself in the skull. Yeah, yeah. Tate doesn't want to um, shoot himself, so he fights um, He fights Voss and takes over and uses a shard of glass to carve out the little microchip in the top of his head. Yeah, so that essentially now Voss can't unplug. Um, yes. And also is gonna, you know, has basically I think five days before unspecified upsetting thing happens that we're pretty sure we're gonna get to see happen. Well, um, what I love is the way they show this like mind melt, like meltdown, is through bizarre dream sequences oh, of yeah. Colin and Voss as the same person and like sharing a face <clears throat> and like breaking in half and, and like chunk and severing and, and kind of commingling and melting. It is so, so, so good. These hallucinatory body horror effects. Um, I think the one image that is going to haunt me forever is there's a bit where, um, you know, in this hallucinatory sequence, Tate, pops Voss's head like a little balloon and then wears her like a mask while wandering through all of her memories. Um, where it's just at this point like full ego death, like now we don't know who's Voss and who's, um, you know, Colin. And so Colin goes uh, at this point to, I think he's got like a mistress on the side. Um, it's It's the fiance's best friend, but they keep saying, well... No one, 
no one cares. We can just have this thing. So Colin is freaking out because he's murdered all of his contacts. (laughs) So he goes to stay at her place. And again, we're not quite sure, uh, but he winds up murdering her too. And it's, it's that thing of, okay, Voss is the one doing the murdering because Colin doesn't want it. But also, maybe Colin wants to murder everyone. Yeah. Well, and that's also, the, which, first of all, um, the actor who plays um, his uh, friend uh, plays Tannis on Letterkenny. So I was very excited to see Tannis just popping up on my screen. But yeah, <laughs> she, she dies pretty sharpish. Uh, and what it is is that, you know, I think at this point, um, Colin doesn't totally remember what happened. He does know he's covered in blood and every he's killed everyone. And then kills his friend. And then, and, and then it's at this point that uh, Eddie, the weird little rat dick from work, um, shows up at Tannis from Letterkenny's house. How did Eddie find him exactly? So what we learn is Eddie is actually a plant and is there to help uh, Voss get back in control. Because he shoots Colin with a very bizarre sci-fi movie stun gun. Mm-hmm. And then Colin slash Voss wakes up on a table with needles in his head. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, now, the thing is... Uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry, I had it wrong. Uh, Tate is not um, the handler. Um, the handler's name is Gerder. Uh, Tate is Colin's last name. Um, and so... Uh, sorry, yeah, I just I just realized that I had that turned around. Um, now, Eddie uh, also is, like, trying to, you know, and he's also, like, a big fan of Voss. Like, she's a famous assassin. Like, it's Yeah, like, he starts, like, fanboying. He's like, oh, my gosh, you're so great. Oh, that fuck, thing where you stab that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that it's like they've got, like, trading cards of all of these, like, possessory assassins. It's like fucking John Wick over here. Um, and so he's trying to get... Uh, Voss sort of back in, in fighting Trim so that she can um, so that she can get Tate to kill himself so that she can get snapped back um, but it's at this point that Tate slash Voss murders the shit out of Eddie as well yeah and, and again it's plausible deniability that, like <laughs> it's it's who is actually in charge who can really say and you know because there's this ego death and this melding they've become the same person. Yeah, yeah, which is, ooh, ooh, I just love it. It makes my, my brain feel all tingly uh, watching this movie. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, Eddie Eddie eats it, and then it's at this point that, um, you know, the door swings both ways, and so um, Colin is able to uh, wander back through Voss's memories uh, while wearing her, her face as a mask, which is an incredible effect. Oh, yeah, um, it's, it's, the cover, it's the movie poster. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of, um, Quincy, have you heard of or read uh, Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke by Eric LaRocca? No. You should look it up. Um, it's, I, I think it didn't totally stick the landing for me, but it's this um, horror novella that's like um, two lesbians in the 90s using AOL, and one of them gets the other one to do increasingly horrifying things, and it's a whole thing. But the cover of it is like a woman's head kind of melding, like it's kind of weird and like meldy looking. Um, yeah, the cover of this movie is incredible. Uh, but, you know, so Colin is wandering through her memories and he is standing where she stood at, um, in, at the beginning of this movie when she's about to go and talk to her family, where she's like rehearsing her lines. Um, 
And having him run through the same lines as her, while pretending to be her while she's pretending to be herself with her family, it's just outstanding. Oh yeah, it's great. Um, and so because he's able to wander through her memories, he knows where her family lives. Um, and he decides to pop by. And then we get the really scary part. The part that makes this a horror movie. Please, give me give me the rundown here. Okay, so he waits outside. He wanders around the city until he finds the alleyway that is part of Voss's memory. And he waits outside until Voss's uh, child uh, comes outside to play. Yeah, and then is just kind of like, hey, little guy, is this is this your house? And then... You know, the kid doesn't answer, which is really smart, because, like, uh, no, stranger, this is not my house, please stop talking to me. But then the um, Voss's husband comes to the door and is like, hey, get the fuck away from that weird drifter, please come inside, um, and calls the kid inside. And then it's at this point that um, Colin breaks into the house, and he's sort of screaming at himself as Voss, where it's like, I'm going to kill your fucking family. Yeah, he's like, if you don't get out, I'm going to kill your family, which is also really compelling because it creates this character where he's got someone in his head and he can't get that someone out and, you know, brings up these really fascinating themes of like, what do you do when you don't feel in control of your body Mm -hmm. and, you know how many times in our lives can we say that we don't feel in control of ourselves and yet we are in control of ourselves. And that's the thing is Voss keeps saying like Voss and then Gerder keep saying, you know, that was you that did that. You made these choices. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I mean, and that's exactly what it is. It's like, I love how media it is with just like how many of our actions are sort of predetermined by the scripts that we have for ourselves Um, is our sense of, like, are we defined by the people in our lives? Like, how do we, you know, because, I mean, and and there is a huge thing about, you know, Gerder has a vested interest in uh, isolating Voss from her family because her family, like, I mean, it's still shaky at the top of this movie, her her relationship with them and her relationship with herself, but them being the, the, pretty much the sole thing tethering her to any kind of empathy or remorse. Um, Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, Colin, uh, is, like, screaming at Voss, and then Voss kind of materializes, um, and it's not clear at first whether or not this is actually Voss IRL who has also shown up to the house, or whether he's imagining Voss, um, but, you know, and it's really incredible, anytime the two of them are on screen, the camera just goes extremely blurry and hazy, and it's just an incredible thing where it's, like, the two of them fighting for control of Colin's body. Yes. Uh, and then, okay, this is the part that I, I started screaming. What happens at, uh, every, everything comes to a head. Um, essentially, Voss, uh, Gerder possesses um, the, the body of her son and makes it so that uh, Colin slash Voss shoots her son um, over and over again, but then it sort of cuts, you know, to Voss screaming and doing it, which is very clearly, this is Voss deciding to shoot her kid. By the way, they show this kid getting shot to shit. Yeah, they, they show this child being shot in the face. Like, we're killing kids in this movie. Um, and so it's very clear that, like, no, that, you know, with the, no, that was you that did that. 
Um, Tate definitely kills um, her husband with a with a meat cleaver, but Voss definitely shoots her son. And you know, Gerder, who sort of prompted her to kill the kid anyway, but also Voss being perfectly aware that she's shooting her son. At this point, Gerder has gotten what she wanted, and now Voss has no family and no tether to humanity. Yeah, and what's really cool is at the end of the movie, when Voss is going through her personal effects to to do the personality test, mm-hmm. she says, and this is a butterfly that I um, pinned, she doesn't talk about how she feels bad about killing it. Yeah, she doesn't express any guilt, and then Gerder just goes, very good. Um, yeah. Which also, watching a kid, like, the fact that Gerder um, possessed the kid and made the kid stab Colin slash Voss in the neck to provoke her into shooting him, like, it's just, oh, this, And And, yeah. and the, the world that, that opens up of does Voss know that her child has been surgically altered mm-hmm. to become an operative. Like, is that a, is that an insurance policy that she's even aware was the case? Yeah, completely. And also I love that like the movie is 0% interested in, you know, sort of telling you what, you know, whether she knew or whether, because I, my, my interpretation was definitely she, you know, she knows that she is shooting her son, but I don't think she knows that it's Gerder who possessed him and made him stab her. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it is just this uh, in the moment lashing out, almost like an, a wounded animal mm-hmm. striking out. Yeah, and then so yeah, so now uh, Voss is free to be the Michael Jordan of the assassin world, and uh, yeah, Gerder gets what she wants. It's sort of the heir apparent as the you know the big the big assassin on campus. Um, this movie is so 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 good, and I. Went into this kind of expecting bad things because I hated antiviral so much, but honestly, this, I, I feel like it's so Cronenbergian, but also manages to, I think, go, and I say this as, you know, somebody who really likes the movie Crash by David Cronenberg, this is a movie that's not afraid to, you know, be frank in its discussion of sex and violence and personhood. Yeah, and in, in a way that is advanced from his father's work in a way that like it's its own thing it's 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 his own voice it's not like how um yeah and and it's it's nice to see a child of a auteur who's able to succeed it it kind of like especially because Jennifer Lynch always comes to mind when I think of like the Cronenberg family and like mm-hmm. how Jennifer Lynch was unsuccessful because her father is such a singular voice mm-hmm. and i think that that expectation has kind of haunted her filmography in an unfair sort of way for sure like i, I feel like boxing helena was sort of fine but i think if you weren't going oh you're david lynch's kid you know you wouldn't be holding them to that um in a way that by the way i feel like jason reitman gets a pass on and i don't appreciate it because <laughs> it's like oh yeah you know which i side total side note here i was so fucking annoyed that during the ghostbusters afterlife press junket um jason reitman you know did this interview he was like yeah you know i thought i wanted to become a psychologist i actually I was really reluctant to become a director but i just kind of wandered into it and it's like yeah the fact that your dad is fucking ivan reitman had nothing to do with you being given opportunities to direct <laughs> stuff um uh, yeah. Can we talk for a moment about how good uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife is, though? I haven't seen it. Is it? Oh, I man. 
Oh, you liked it? I, I really liked it. And it's very much because it's an Amblin style kids on bikes movie for mm-hmm. three fourths. Um, I, I will admit that the final act does a whole lot of shoehorning of uh, remember this thing from the original <laughs> movie that we got to do a callback from and this other thing and this other thing. But the um, the cast is super charming. That's see, this is I I think that I've uh, become a little bit allergic to kids on bike stuff just because of the sheer glut of it in the last four years. But that that's really good because I, I'd mostly been sort of like, all right, well, here's Jason Reitman you know, doing his father's greatest hits. I, but also, I'm a sucker for nostalgia, so I, I, I gotta, I gotta watch it to know how I feel about it. I think. Yeah, I, I recommend it. It's, it's worth a, a watch. Yeah, but I mean, but then you know, Brandon Cronenberg doing this, like, I don't know. I uh, this, this, uh, I, this hits harder than I think a lot of things I've seen in the last few years. Like, this is. Um, I watched this with a friend of the show, uh, Josh Copeland, uh, remotely because we were, you know. Watching it, and it's, I think, watching, the experience of watching this with people is really outstanding, just because of the number of times where it's going to be everybody dropping their fucking jaw um, with this movie. I think, do you think David Cronenberg is a little bitter that he wasn't, that the Canadian government in the 80s wouldn't let him hang dong the way Brandon is able to? Where he's like, I oh, wonder he- if the Canadian Thanksgiving table is a little awkward because of, like... <laughs> Or or maybe he's a good cheerleader and he's like you know I'm so happy that I walked so my son can run. And you know I, I bet I bet David Cronenberg is a proud pappy with his son being able to just you know listen you know you want your kid to have it better than you ever did and so the fact that his son is able to fucking hang sack on Maine in this movie <laughs> I'm sure he's just so you know just pleases punch for his kid. Um, so let's get to the ranking of this movie. So scrolling way up the fucking list, um, Quincy, where, uh, give me, give me a ballpark here. What, which, uh, where, where on the list do you think we're, we're having this conversation? So we have Videodrome at number 174 above Gremlins. So this is tough. Um, I really, really love Videodrome, uh, but I think that now, okay. I say, I say this as somebody with, you know, a, a Videodrome wallpaper on my stupid laptop, I feel like Possessor has a stronger thesis statement about the themes it's working with than Videodrome necessarily does. I think so, too. I think that Possessor is a bit more nuanced, whereas Videodrome is these kids in their cable television. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, Videodrome has, I think, a lot of cool quotes from it where it's like, you know, the television is the retina of the mind's eye and such. Like, I love all of that stuff. But by the end of the movie, with, you know, the tumors and the, I don't know, I feel like it's very much, you know, David Cronenberg just kind of doing bizarre imagery for fun, where I feel like with Possessor, the questions it's exploring, it's done so much more subtly and so much more deftly. Never thought that I would describe this movie as subtle, but I think there's a nuance to the themes that I don't think you're getting in Videodrome. Yeah. So I think it's better than Videodrome. Now, at 163 is Dead Ringers. Oh shit! Okay, where there we go. What do you uh, what do you what do you reckon off top with uh, Dead Ringers? You know, Dead Ringers is a very good movie, and I want to say that Dead Ringers is better, but I'm still thinking Possessor has so much more to say in mm-hmm. so many more interesting ways that I gotta say. Possessor is better than Dead Ringers. I totally agree, and I feel like I'm taking crazy pills for being like, no, this is definitely better than Dead Ringers, but 
it yeah yeah this is i mean dead ringers is part of an oeuvre with cronenberg in a way that like this feels completely unique um scrolling up the list a pretty decent way uh quincy at number um 60 we have event horizon uh which is another sort of um 30 ways to fuck up a human being movie uh, which, okay, so do we feel like Event Horizon, which, you know, for being in sort of the mid-90s and being kind of an oddball horror movie that was doing its own thing, which which do we think we're giving the, the edge to? I still feel like, I, it's wild to say, I think Possessor is doing so much more mm-hmm. than all of these movies were. Th- these are stone-cold classics, but I think Possessor, it, it's it's too early to tell, but I think we're going to be talking about it for a while. For sure. And actually, so scrolling a little bit further up the list, I think a contemporary for me, like if I were going to you know, be talking about movies that push the boundaries of what we're willing to show on screen and the themes that we're willing to explore, at number 22, we have uh, Raw from 2016, which is the vet- veterinary school um, sort of cannibalism movie. And that's another movie where I'm like, you know, the, the director of that movie, she's been, you know, like, yeah, I, I've done a lot of Q&As for this movie, and people get really upset when they tell me how much they don't like this movie. <laughs> um, and Roz, again, is just one of those movies that you watch and you just can't help but appreciate the sheer fucking, you know, spine it takes to make a movie like that. And I feel like that's in the conversation with Possessor for me. Yeah, I do feel like both of these are, are natural movies to come across. Now, Blue Velvet is above Raw. That's where I'm drawing a line. Yeah. Yeah, but, I would agree. Now, but, now, why, why why is that for you? What What is it that sets Blue Velvet apart, do you think? I think it's the performances. There are a lot more iconic performances in um, Blue Velvet than there are in Possessor. Oh, I for sure. that um, you get... So you get Kyle McLaughlin, you get Dennis Hopper... You get uh, Laura Dern in a oh. particularly great performance. She's in, perfect. Yeah, especially in that movie. So, and and I think it's one of the um, David Lynch movies that is actually like pretty cohesive in what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. In a way that I really like Mulholland Drive. It's probably my favorite Lynch movie, mm-hmm. but it. Um, doesn't really have a thing that it is singing in a way <laughs> that Blue Velvet does, mm-hmm. and I appreciate. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And also, like, Isabella Rossellini, I feel like a her performance in this, like, her breakdown, I feel like, they, I don't know, like, she really, really kills it. And I think you're totally right. Like, Blue Velvet, I think, I mean, I think my favorite Lynch movie is probably Lost Highway, uh, but I think Blue Velvet, you're totally right. Like, this is his most, like, accessible, you know, like, sort of cohesive movie. Uh, and in a way that it's not even me being like, yeah, it's for the, you know, it's for the, the peanut-chewing masses or whatever. Like, look, you've got Dennis Hopper screaming, Daddy wants to fuck. Like, it's already buck wild. But I feel like between Possessor and Blue Velvet, um, Blue Velvet, I mean, there's a reason we're still talking about it years and years from now. And and maybe it's just the the hindsight thing. But I feel like, yeah, if it's if it's down to the performances, um, the performance from the lead actor in Possessor and from Jennifer Jason Leigh, like, it's great, but I feel like the performances in Blue Velvet set it apart a little bit. Yeah, and there's also, um, <clears throat> and maybe this is unfair because it is Lynch Sr., but... Uh, <clears throat> Lynch and, Prime. Yeah, Lynch Prime. <laughs> 
but it has a clarity of voice that Brandon is still always going to be compared to his dad. For sure. Um, and it, and it's almost not even fair to Brandon, but it's also like, I mean, look, if your dad is David by God Cronenberg, that's going to affect the way you make movies if you're his kid. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I feel good about that. So coming in at our new number uh, 22, above Raw from 2016 and below Blue Velvet, is Possessor. And once again, guys, uh, it is currently um, on Hulu. Um, listen, get get together with your folks. Watch Possessor. It will absolutely blow your mind. Call Mima. Call Pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mima needs to see the full frontal nudity and gruesome murder of, of uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Um, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can start uh, at FaustianNonsense.com. Yeah, where you can find us along with a bunch of other shows on the Faustian Nonsense Network. Um, listen, we have a letterbox, uh, le- letterboxed, excuse me, God, I'm 80 years old. Speaking of Meemaw, um, you're going to, uh, you know, find us at uh, Rank and Vile on Letterbox. We are just about everywhere podcasts are uh, distributed. Um, and if you could give us a uh, review on your podcast app of choice, that is really helpful to the show. We don't pay for advertising, um, and we are actually switching to a bi-weekly uh, program because uh, it is getting too hard to record regularly with having full-time jobs. Having full-time jobs and also kids. Like, this is... yeah. It's it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's a um, thing. But yeah, so uh, once again, uh, we we love you guys. Thank you, thank you so much for listening. Um, I that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. Bye.